You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Welcome, Congressman, to the Code Red podcast. Thanks for taking the time to discuss your efforts on trying to secure our borders and other important issues facing America. I have to say, going over your record, I wish you can clone yourself <laughs> and uh, become the majority in the House <laughs> because, well, in fact, your agenda is Secure America Now agenda. And um, can you brief us on what's going on at the border and how you're addressing this most important issue. So I'm on the Homeland Security Committee. We have, uh, as of yesterday, we've started the impeachment process for Mayorkas. Um, and I would very much like to return to that topic here in a moment. But let me just start with the, the very uh, broad understanding, problematic, uh, that, that uh, this president, this administration has brought uh, to the interior of the United States. We have almost 8 million uh, illegal immigrants that are in this country now that weren't here prior to President Biden taking office. Eight million. That's almost three times the size of the population of Oklahoma, Alan. So almost three times the population of Oklahoma within three years of the Biden administration have come into this country. Now put that in the context from 1890 to 1950 approximately, the height of legal immigration, most of it coming through Ellis Island, the famous, you know, poem, give us your, your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, those longing to breathe free. There were only 12 million that came in that 60-year period from 1890 to 1950 legally. We've had 8 million come in in three years illegally. Um, we have a crisis, um, not only in terms of the ability to afford the services, whether it's the ambulance or the confinement in, in incarceration or public education. We know that we have cities that are running million-dollar deficits. In New York City alone, they're having 10 to 20 percent, being asked to have 10 to 20 percent cuts to all services citywide, uh, New Jersey, um, and then not, not, not less than that is those states that have the immediate impact of Texas and Arizona and New Mexico and California, um, where in Yuma, Arizona, people locally there can't even go to the hospital. They have to drive 300 miles to go find hospital act, uh, accessibility because the illegals coming across are invading their hospitals. So, and then, then the national security front. We've had 750 approximately Iran and Syrian individuals that are on the suspected uh, 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 illegal alien watch list, uh, illegal immigration watch list from countries that hate us. I mean, th these are people who, from a majority, um, who ascribe to, you know, us being the great Satan and Israel being the little Satan. That is an aside number, the special interest alien list I just cited, 750 from Iran and, and Syria. That is even aside from 160 people that have come across that southern border this year that are on the, the uh, terrorist watch list. Add another 100 on top of that the year prior. So you got 200 people, 250 people that we've apprehended that are on the terrorist watch list, but that doesn't include the 1.7 million people that have come across our southern border. We don't know who they are, classified as gotaways. That means that we've only been able to trace their footprints as coming across. They weren't apprehended. There are many of us without hyperbole 
without using excessive drama, who are greatly concerned of another 9-11 type event because of what can happen with people who come across your border who are willing to let, let down their life to do a terrorist activity. So this is a dangerous policy. Now, now I'll pause there to give you a chance to, to weigh in, but I would love to pivot to why, under the rule of law, Mayorkas needs to be ousted. And I'll yield to you for a moment. I will ask the question that I think most Americans are concerned about, and they don't have an answer. Why is the Biden administration doing this? I know it's speculation. Um, uh, We're not inside the head of the administration, but can you speculate why they're doing this? So for every Democrat that's going to cringe when they hear me say this, I think it's absolutely because they want to see them be able to get uh, the ability to vote. It already occurs in New York and Illinois where you are illegal uh, aliens. I talked to a couple of state lawmakers in Illinois, and you can have a real ID. Now think about for those of us that were you know, pushing back on real ID years ago because of concerns over Fourth Amendment violations. You in Illinois right now, this because of state statute changes, illegal immigrants in Illinois can get access to a, a real ID. Now you tell me if that doesn't invalidate this, what was described as the value of a real ID. Okay. Well, in New York, they could also vote. And, they, and in New York, they can as well. In New York, they do not require photo identification. In Illinois, they do not require photo identification to vote. So if all you got to do is show up and say, I'm here, and you can vote, that insulates you when these congressional districts are being drawn. And let's say you're at a your PVI, which means your partisan voting index. Let's say you're, you know, before any candidates are named, let's say it's a plus nine Democrat district. Well, now you have a whole bunch of illegal immigrants that have come in, not just from old Mexico, right? We intrinsically you see a lot of people come from old Mexico that would have evangelical leanings, and they those people might vote Republican. But you got people from 160 different countries that are coming across that southern border. And these people, they've got lots of different ideologies. And these are a lot, a lot of these people, they, they're not the chasm between conservative ideology. A lot of these people absolutely are going to vote Democrat. And they're going to reward what they the perception, the reality of the Democrats, giving them the opportunity to get into a country. And so that now plus nine PVI moves to a plus 15, plus 20. What do you think that member of Congress wants? He doesn't want that 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 congressional district he represents being in play. He wants more Democrat pad on a blind index so that he can stay safe in his voting. Why impeach Mayorkas? Because he's violating the rule of law. In Federalist 65, Alexander Hamilton, keep in mind that, you know, the, those 85 Federalist papers uh, documented 1 through 85 that were written by John J. Hamilton Madison that dictate what happened. What were they thinking when they put this Constitution in place? In Article 2, Section 4, it lays out what impeachment is supposed to look like. It actually says impeachment in Article 2, Section 4 is for the vice president, the president, or all civil officers of the executive. Well, what is Mayorkas? He serves under the executive, right? All right, so number one is the rule of law team, conservatives I ascribe to that. Do we have differences of policy? Absolutely we do. Does this need to be about the rule of law? Yes, because not only are we losing conservative common sense, we're losing rule of law where people think that they are above the Constitution. The supreme law of our land is not, we're not under the rule of man, we're under the rule of law. So the Constitution lays out, this is what impeachment's for. 
But the Constitution laid that out, and it had a context we know of, because Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 65 said that the reason what the impeachment is to be used for is a violation or abuse of the public trust. Then he goes on to say in Federalist 65 that it's to be a bridle. Now, I grew up in the cutting horse industry. I grew up training horses with a father who did it professionally. A bridle in the hands of the legislative body to be used upon the executive servants of the government. I mean, that's an exact quote from Federal 65. You know what that means? You know what you use a bridle for? If you have a well-trained horse, you don't have to use that bridle very often, especially if you're in the reigning cutting horse industry, because that horse learns to move off leg pressure and fills your seat. Uh, I, I learned as a non-pro, it's a three-stage stop. I sat down. That horse knows me saying woe is about to happen, and a well-broke horse will set down a slide without me having to pick up the four ounces of the rain, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when the Constitution was written and everybody's horseback, they were horse savvy. And when he's saying that it's a bridle in the hands of the legislative body to be used upon the, the executives, the, the civil government executives, what they knew was you should be controlled by being well-trained, just like a horse, according to American Quarter Horse Association, it says that, a, that a, a reigning horse is to be willfully guided and willfully controlled. You know what you have in government these days? You have a lot of civil servants that aren't willfully guided and willfully controlled by the constraints of, 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 the, of, 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 of the rule of law, the Constitution, or congressional law. So guess what? Our founder said, we're going to give you, the legislative body, a bridle. You know what the bridle is used for? You don't sit down and, and, and start stopping on your own. When my, I sit down in my seat and I say, whoa, then I have, I have the bridle to get the curb chain in my hand and pull you back and say, whoa. And so that's what is important that we do. And that's what's not been done. You, the reason why we have compounding lawlessness is because Congress doesn't use the power of the purse to say, whoa. You used to have executive orders under Madison, Jefferson, and Adams when they were all president. They used executive orders one time in their entirety of their presidency. You know what, on average, executive orders are getting used by both Republican and Democrat presidents? 200 for their time in office. Franklin Roosevelt wrote 3,000 executive orders. We are in a, a culture of lawlessness. And so whatever you tolerate, you empower, it is time to sit down and grab the bridle and say, whoa. And, and so we had three attorney generals uh, from different states before us yesterday in Homeland Security Committee, and I asked each one of them, when congressional law on detention says if you're here le- illegally and you are to be detained, then deported, and the, the, the Immigration and Nationality Act says that, and Mayorkas sends a memo out and says, no, if you're only here illegally, that's a not enough reason for expulsion. Is that a reason to, to, for high crimes and meters, does, high crimes and misdemeanors? Does that meet the threshold? Does the fact that when it comes to parole, and he grants three thirty thousand a month parole from different countries when it was only supposed to be done by congressional law on a case-by-case basis. I asked those three attorney generals yesterday, does that arise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors? All three attorney generals says, under the rule of law, that does. Interesting enough, the Democrat witness there yesterday said, well, this can't be about policy difference. It has to be something related to the Constitution that is that – is, that is, um, rises to the level, his quote was, illegal ends. Alan, last time I checked, if you violate congressional law, that's an illegal end. So I used his own words against him yesterday in congressional testimony. Well, good for you. Let me um, pivot just a bit here. You have introduced and you're sponsoring HR2. Yes. Can you explain to our audience what HR2 is? 
Yeah, just look in simplicity because there's so much minutia in it, and I would be lying to you if I remembered every dot and tittle of it. Um, but in simplicity, it returns to what Trump was employing. When in 2017, we had the lowest numbers, 45 years of illegal immigration, the lowest numbers in our country's history after 45 years. And then we now have the highest numbers. You know, the only thing changed is the abuse of power. And so H.R. 2 in simplistic form, it returns to the migrant protection protocols. You come through a, a country that's a safe country. You come through some of these other 150 countries coming through Mexico. You're claiming asylum. Did you come through Mexico? Was that not your country of origination? Well, pretty safe bet. If you're fleeing another country, then you can probably be safe being in Mexico instead of claiming you got to get in the United States to be, you know, to protect your body, life and limb. Um, and so migrant protection protocols, it stops this violation of parole that I just talked about. That was supposed to be done if you have a health care need, as an example, and only can you get that done in the United States on a case by case basis. Um, it, 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 it sends the absurdity, ends the absurdity of catch and release that this administration has turned us into. And so by all, by all accounts, Jim Jordan included, Mark Green, those are the two committee chairmen. I was a part of the markup process in Homeland Security. It's the most conservative bill that's ever passed the House of Representatives. And so it didn't get picked up by the Senate, of course. Our great hope is, why people keep talking about H.R. 2 is, it sets dormant in the Senate. Our hope is upon um, a, a successful campaign that we will have control of the presidency and the White House and H.R. 2. We can look at all those colleagues and said, you voted on it once. Let's do it again in the 119th Congress. And let's get this thing signed into law so that no Democrat president can ever occupy the office and thumb their nose and do what we've seen in, in, in the future. Good for you. Uh, Secure America now will support this legislation. We have millions of members who would agree with every word that's come out of your mouth today, and I'm sure everything that you're doing in Congress. I would like to now talk about what's going on in Israel. Yeah. Let me just preface it. Uh, and this is based upon your answer to a previous question. I was on the board of an Israeli think tank. Okay. One of our projects was to translate important documents into Hebrew. First document was the Federalist Papers. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, so you're quoting, we're on the same wavelength. That's great, man constitutionalists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you think that the war in Israel is in fact important for the United States of America? Yeah, let me say this. I say that from a biblical foundation. Um, I'm one of those who ascribes to uh, a, a biblical worldview and that uh, I will bless those who bless Israel. And that, uh, you know, all through the my Bible, as I read it, as Americans pick up their Bibles, which I highly encourage this nation to do yet again. Um, George Washington said, our, um, you know, that of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would the man claim the tribute of patriotism who would labor to subvert those great pillars of human happiness. And he goes on to say that Amen. reason and experience forbid us to expect that national morality will prevail in exclusion of religious principle. Let, so me I just jump in, yeah. Let me just jump in. 
George Washington chose Toro Synagogue in Rhode Island as the place where he declared religious freedom in America. He wrote a letter to the president of that synagogue. Yeah, I've heard of this. And the basis for our religious freedom is actually on it in a, in a synagogue, and there were very few Jews in this country at that time. But go ahead. So, so, so I point that out to say that to think that those of us that hold a biblical worldview, I mean, it was amazing when Speaker Johnson ascended to, you know, the speakership and, and the media was coming after him and because he, you know, said that he has a biblical worldview. Yeah. Um, the fact that he would, you know, the fact that he would encourage his children uh, towards purity in, in morality, sexual morality. The, the media just cried foul. How dare he want to sit with his daughter at a purity ball? Man, that was common sense just 30 and 40 years ago for every parent. And you want to look at every cultural rot symptom in our country, the sexual immorality embraced in the 60s and 70s when it came to an embrace of adultery. And then we get into the, the affront of what uh, homosexuality in the 90s and now transgenderism in, in, the, in, the, you know, in this era. I mean, it, we are in a, in a culture war, and people want to know why people can't understand um, right from wrong and left to right. It's because we're judging what's right by our own eyes. And our founders made it plain, John Adams, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. You know what that meant? It meant that John Adams was saying a Constitution that set in place limited government works in tandem in the balance with self-governance. And if you want to maintain limited government, you have to have self-governance. And if you don't have self-governance, the vacuum of being the administrative state is going to come in and take over the rule in all areas of your life. And our loss of freedom, our loss of liberty is in direct consternation because of us letting virtue be so in the tank in this country. So yeah. all that said, I make no apologies for understanding that virtuous society is how we maintain liberty, Benjamin Rush, another founding father, said, where there is no virtue, there is no liberty, and liberty is the object and life of all republic governments. So if we want to maintain this, if we want to be the longest-running experiment of a republic, then we better run back to a moral understanding, a biblical virtuous model, and quit becoming wise in our own eyes, and as Isaiah 5 says, woe to the nation who calls evil good and good evil, substitute darkness for light, light for darkness, sweet for bitter, and, 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 and bitter for sweet. And it becomes so wise in our own eyes. That, look, this is, you got me on a tangent. This is even Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln wrote an article in 1863. I challenge every one of us to go look it up. Where Abraham Lincoln says, what is it? Have we become so so superior in our thinking that we think what's happened to us is because of our own wisdom. And he goes on to say, do, do we not need to rely upon that great power? I don't think he used the term great power, providence. We become so wise in our own eyes. He was challenging the, basically the nation to go back to praying. And I think he called it a day of humiliation and fasting and prayer. That was Abraham Lincoln, man. Yep. So all the people we ascribe to the greats, this is not some foreign ideology. This is what our great men and women who put this thing together, who preserved the, the, the union, said that if you want greatness in America, then you better be a good nation. So 
So Israel, right? Bless Israel. We're going to be blessed. Let me just say that what you just said is music to my ears, and um, these forgotten lessons that the founders taught us um, is a major reason why this country is in the predicament that it's currently in. And But I want to get your views on, in the context of America, support for Israel. Yeah. Why should Americans support Israel? There are, there are biblical reasons, no question. Are there secular reasons? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, in terms of, you know, they're surrounded in the, in the area of the world. If you look at them geographically, by the way, there there were 22 percent of their original boundary uh, uh, under King Solomon thousands of years ago. Right. Twenty two percent is a geographical area. So over time, they, they've been reduced and, 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 and redacted and agreement here and agreement there. By the way, I will contend anytime you see an agreement and Israel is losing out. I don't see a blessing coming to America. I will say that. For the presidents who get involved in these negotiations and they're constantly giving away Israel's territory, show me in tandem with, with how things have worked out. But yeah. I will tell you what how things work out when we when we stand with Israel and we stand with them in, in that 22% of their original geographic boundary compared to what they were under Solomon's time frame. They're surrounded by 700 times their size, Arab nations who hate them. 700 times geographically their size of nations that hate them. I want us to think back of the times when we've actually stood with them. Let's just do it abstractly. So they get put in place by, after 1948. What is, the, what is the great heyday, the golden years, agriculture, the golden years of prosperity in our nation? Right after 1948, 1950, heyday in America right. financially. So America has this major role to play. There's a great financial blessing that hits America. What happens when, when Trump, against all the opposition he was facing, that the, that, that the world was going to burn, that if he said that, that Jerusalem right. should be where the embassy should be placed? And Trump, in defiance to that, does what all presidents and years prior promised to do but never done. What happens? We had one of our strongest economies we'd ever had. We had energy dominance. There was a great financial blessing upon our nation. Now, what I'm contending is, is – it's more than monetary. I, I'm one of those guys that pay for it. Let's pay for it. We're going to bless Israel, and we have a military strength that we're lending to them for their Iron Dome. Let's pay for it. Let's offset because we're going bankrupt as a country. We need to be paying for these things. I'm, I absolutely believe in that, okay? So I'm, I'm a fiscal hawk, and I want these things paid for. And there's plenty of places in government to cut. But I just want to talk about if you look in sync with blessings in our country financially, when we mm. stand in Israel, we're blessed. Well, I would also argue that President Trump moving the embassy is the set the stage for his success. Abram Accord getting Arab countries. <laughs> I mean, it's counterintuitive, but when they sh when he showed where America stands and the justice of doing that, yeah. He, in fact, opened the door, and we got the Abraham Accords, which everyone said was impossible. 
peace through strength. Yeah. That was a true example of, you know, don't you love just looking back at the history and knowing that Rocket Man, all of a sudden when Trump started calling him names, all of a sudden he got rocked back on his heels. He's like, what am I dealing with in the United States? This guy's not predictable, which was a great strength of Trump and his presidency. People didn't know what to do. They didn't know what he was going to do. Peace through strength. The more we, the more we um, sweat in times of peace, the less we will bleed in times of war. I know someone who accompanied President Trump when he met with Chinese president. And behind closed doors, she was in the room. And she's professional foreign policy person. Trump just looked at the uh, the Chinese president in the eye and said, "If you take military action against Taiwan, you will regret it." Afterwards, she said, "I was shocked that he had said it." But she said, at the end of the day, that's the reason why you didn't get China going against Taiwan and doing other nefarious things. And the bluntness, the clarity, and the belief that this crazy man might, in fact, uh, follow through on his thoughts. Let's go back again to the Israel situation, because the big question in Israel is after Hamas is decimated, what happens to Gaza? Yeah. Our position is Israelis should determine that, but the whole world will be involved in it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, the greatest predictor of, of, of the future is the past, right? I think uh, Patrick Henry said that in a better way. He said, I have one lamp by which my feet are guided. It's the lamp of experience. No no better way to tell the future than the past. So we can't go back to the past. This whole two-state solution ideology that says, let them have full reign and full control. And Israel is you know, completely kicked out of Gaza. Let us where you got uh, to a friend Scott Perry's analogy. I love this. He said, it's like having a murderer living in your shed and you're asked to just keep quiet about it. Yep. I mean, what homeowner is going to do that? Um, so, so to be able to stay in a position of power in Gaza, that's a no-brainer. They have to. They have to stay in a position of power. Now, defining that power, defining you know um, what that looks like, you know the details are going to matter. But they can't do what they've done in the past. I agree. I think their voluntary pull out of Gaza is the reason why they have a war in Gaza right now. Also, there is a very good example of what occurs when Israel, in fact, abandons a property. Israel controlled Bethlehem for decades. Then Israel slowly but surely turned over to the Palestinian Authority the control of Bethlehem. From the time that they started to make that transfer of power, Israel, the Christian population in Bethlehem, which was about 60% when the Israelis were in control, is now 
under 20 percent. Wow. The oldest Christian population, they were there from the time that Jesus was born. And it is um, it's an it's another good example of the Israelis bringing our concepts of religious freedom, of rule of law, and the other side having total disregard for that. And I remember the last time I was in Bethlehem it was probably four years ago. And uh, talking to a, a jeweler, a Christian jeweler who was in Manger Square, and he just said, we can't live here. No, They wow. don't want us here. Let's get out of here. Well, Congressman, I know that you have uh, other things to do. Um, and I want to thank you once again for your service. Thank you. Um, we will support, especially on the border issues. Of course, Israel is also a major plank in our platform. And uh, I thank you for taking the time. And I look forward to meeting you sometime in person. It'd be great. Be honored, Alan. God bless Take you. Thanks care. so much for having me on. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.